0: The median price house in 2010 was $224,000 in dollars. And back then, uh, 0.29 cents was the price of Bitcoin, right? It was 29 cents. So back then, 11 years ago, it would cost you over nearly 800,000 Bitcoin to buy a house, to buy the median price house.
1: What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. This is the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth by investing in Main Street, investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Jason Hartman. And today we're talking about, we're asking the question and answering the question with some data as to whether the real estate market is in a bubble, at least the the residential real estate market. And Jason has developed uh, the, the Hartman Comparison Index, the HCI—a little bit of a mouthful, the Hartman Comparison Index—and today he's walking us through some of the data that informs this index that can potentially help us figure out whether we think we're currently in a real estate bubble. Okay, so it gets a bit into the weeds. There's a lot of numbers in this one. I'll be honest with you, but I think the numbers are illuminating. And we discuss why some of these numbers may be important and how we can compare the current prices and costs and values of real estate to the past. We're looking all the way back to 1970 with a lot of data points to compare and contrast the prices today versus what they have been over time. And this is a a pretty big uh, topic, big presentation. And we, we really get to a few of the key high points that inform this comparison index. Really interesting way to look at the cost of real estate, the price of real estate today in light of other items that money goes to. Other things that we buy, other things that we invest in and how they can be priced against real estate right now. So very interesting comparison. I love data. I know a lot of you out there love data too. And we need to use actual try at least try endeavor to use actual metrics to decide whether we think real estate is currently in a bubble like it it has been in the past it's happened before right that doesn't it can certainly happen again but are we in a bubble today let's look at the numbers and see what we think about whether or not we're in a bubble today and that's what we're talking about today comparing some of those numbers some key numbers that Jason has identified particularly from his decades as a real estate investor, to decide whether we think real estate is a bubble today. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a quick second, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. That's much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. That helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always real with you guys. It helps me feel good because I get to see that you're learning from the content. You are escaping the Wall Street casino along with us and building wealth on Main Street. No matter what podcast app you use, if you haven't yet, take a second, look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, hit that subscribe button. That way, you'll get every new episode straight to your mobile device every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. I am your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I'm also a nerd. I love numbers. Nerd Geek, I'm not really sure what the difference is these days, but I love numbers love science, love math, love economics. And this is a very interesting way of looking at where the market is today, not just the market in real estate, comparing the markets of other things, other investment assets, other commodities to the prices of real estate today. So we can step back from the dollar figures and compare these things to compare real estate to other items that are out there in the market. So really interesting Really appreciate that Jason brings this knowledge to us today. Without any further ado, here we go with Jason Hartman. Jason, thank you for joining us today.
0: Hey, it is my pleasure. Great to be here, Taylor. And I'm looking forward to talking about the market and answering the question on everybody's mind. Are we in a bubble?
1: <laughs> oh, I love it. That is such an important question. And it's a great honor to speak with you you know, face to face as someone who's listened to your voice many, many times on your podcast But for our listeners out there who somehow might not know who you are and what you do, can you tell us a bit about your background? Then we're going to jump right into the HCI and learn about whether we're in a bubble.
0: Sure, absolutely. So uh, my name is Jason Hartman. I've been in the real estate business for longer than I care to admit, <laughs> many decades. And uh, I have been helping investors uh, buy properties nationwide and build nationwide real estate portfolios for about 18 years now. And um, we basically research markets. Uh, we teach people how to invest properly, prudently, conservatively, and, uh, buy and hold strategy, long-term thinking, investing for yield and just getting returns every month, every year. Uh, and, uh, they mostly buy single family homes through our network and, uh, they do that in different parts of the country. We help them diversify, build a portfolio, and, uh, it's just been a great business. And along the way I've learned many things, uh, I've had, uh, you know, we, we hold live events. I have a big podcast audience, a big YouTube audience. And uh, when my listeners ask me questions and put me on the spot, that's when the learning mostly occurs. And so uh, what we'll talk about today is a product of that.
1: Nice. I love it and and thank you for getting us up to speed and everything that you're doing out there helping folks build passive wealth and passive income through real estate investing. So, let's get into it and find out whether or not we're in a real estate bubble.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I just want to say one thing because people kind of throw that passive word around a lot. Sure. Yeah. And uh and and you know, uh, we hear it a lot too, so it's no big deal. But um I don't really think there's any such thing as a passive investment. Even literally a bank account is not passive. Uh, You need to be aware of taxation, inflation. Uh, Certainly investing in stocks, bonds, mutual funds are not passive. I think that is a a myth. You better know what you're doing. You better keep track of what's going on in the marketplace. Uh, So, I don't really think there's anything passive, but there are degrees of it, right, of, uh, you know, it's a spectrum, right, Of, of more or less passive for sure. No question about it. If you're flipping houses, that is most definitely not passive. (laughs) And and if you're investing in a fund, that is more passive. But again, everything requires attention. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. I've heard others say they prefer the term residual, quote unquote, which I think is a little more Accurate, but also not quite as sexy as far as the name of a show goes, or the goal in our investment. So, enough. point point well taken, though.
0: I I agree. I agree. Just wanted to point out that little distinction. So, um, you know, one of the challenges I think people have, and is we as humans, we need to understand uh, what we are measuring things against. So, uh, for example, um, every decision we make as people, whether it be about our money, about our investments. About uh, who we're going to date or marry uh, is a decision based on comparison. And uh, you, since you listen to my show, Taylor, you know that uh, a common question I'm always asking my listeners, and they've actually dubbed it the Jason Hartman question. Although I obviously did not invent the question, <laughs> but I I sure do say it a lot. The question is, compared to what? Right. That is the question. Compared to what? So when we're evaluating uh, real estate values. Most people, in fact, almost all people, are only comparing to one thing, dollars. And that is a huge mistake and i think people that do that are asking for trouble because dollars are just a symbol right they're they're somewhat meaningless actually in in a lot of ways we've all heard the term fiat currency by now uh it means by authority or by decree it's, it has no actual value unless uh the the people in power say it does right and uh and so If you're only comparing the price of real estate in dollars, uh, that could be a very dangerous mistake. So what I want to do today is help your listeners and your viewers and your audience, Taylor, compare real estate to many other things, because I think they can make much more accurate assessments and much more accurate decisions of valuation. Are we in a bubble? Are we not in a bubble? Well, I'm going to try and answer that question, but teach people how to Come to the conclusion themselves rather than just saying, yes, we are, or no, we aren't, right? And it's all about the measuring stick. It's all about asking the question compared to what? Now, One of the things I do want to say is that when we talk about real estate prices, we need to understand that there are really three types of markets in the United States and around the world. There are linear markets that are slow and steady, and I believe very profitable. They produce great yield, great cash flow, and slow and steady appreciation. There are cyclical markets, uh, on the other hand, that get all the attention. They're the ones in the news. They're the ones everybody's talking about because they they're newsworthy. Uh, They have uh, glorious highs and really ugly lows. There are places like where I grew up, Los Angeles. Uh, They're the sort of the trophy cities around the country and around the world. New York, L.A., San Francisco, San Diego, uh, Seattle, Boston, uh, Miami, you know, Palm Beach, where I live. Right. These kind of places are cyclical markets around the world. There are places like Paris, London, Dubai, Hong Kong, Etc. right? These are these sort of trophy cities. Um, But I don't believe those cities are very good to invest in because they're kind of a roller coaster in terms of prices and the cash flow isn't as good. And then there are hybrid markets that are in between the two. Okay, so we need to understand that first. And when we look at the index today, uh, given our limited time, we're only going to be talking about the national median house price when we make our comparisons. And look, That's not perfect. I'll be the first to say that. However... It, it's very hard to slice and dice uh, 3,100 counties around the U.S. Uh, in the short time we have, so we're totally. just going to go with a broad view uh, and and look at the compared to what question and ask ourselves: Is it cheap or is it expensive? And by doing that, we're gonna we're gonna maybe have some ideas to whether or not we are in a bubble. So the index I developed for this is is the Hartman Comparison Index, an index that in Instead of uh, comparing real estate to the price it used to be, it's going to compare it to the price, not only what it used to be, but to uh, over 40 other things, right? And by doing this, we can really better understand the value.
1: Do you want direct access to passive commercial real estate investments, including apartments, self-storage, medical facilities, hotels, and even more? CrowdStreet has you covered. They provide access to a wide variety of commercial real estate syndications for accredited investors. Over 520 deals have been closed through the platform and investors have placed over $2.1 billion, that's billion with a B, in those deals. Go to PassiveWealthStrategy.com CrowdStreet to get started or click the link in the show notes. See the CrowdStreet platform for full terms and conditions of what they offer. Once again, that's PassiveWealthStrategy.com slash CrowdStreet to get started.
0: Uh, What do you think of that?
1: I love it. I love that you're, like you said, kind of stepping away from looking at it in terms of absolute dollars and the prices of housing and comparing it more to uh, like a basket of goods. I mean, I I hate to get a little conspiratorial on you, but the government kind of tries to trick us with the CPI and adjust it and kind of be a little dishonest about the rate of inflation, but you're trying to step back, zoom out and actually be honest and, and really maybe build your own basket of goods against which to compare the price of real estate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you are too kind when you say the government is maybe being a little dishonest. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to offend
1: anybody out there. They
0: are being incredibly dishonest. Let me offend them for you. Uh, (laughs) The the CPI, the consumer price index, the most widely used measure of inflation is an epic scam. Okay. It is manipulated. It is highly manipulated. Three major ways they manipulate it through waiting substitution and hedonic indexing. Weighting means in this basket of goods, they give different items different weights. Substitution basically says if the price of beef goes up, everybody will just switch to chicken. They assume that, but hey, maybe you think chicken's a dirty bird and you don't like chicken. The substitution is an assumption they make, which is not necessarily true. And then hedonic indexing is based on the root word hedonism. How much pleasure do you get out of an item? So as technology advances, Items become less expensive many times, especially if they're uh, tech oriented like iPhones, uh, but uh, because they're much more powerful. So they'll assume you pay less than you're really paying because the product got twice as good. They assume you only pay half as much. And that is, uh, you know, it has like a, a logical kind of idea to it. But really, it's a scam because, Taylor, what it says to us is that we as people aren't entitled to progress the consumer price index is entitled to progress, not the people. (laughs) Imagine if we hedonically index the price of everything in the world or everything we buy to the invention of the wheel or the light bulb, right? Everything would be free, right? That's just nonsense. You know, we as people are entitled to progress, right? So yeah, it's it's a scam. Um, Okay, so let's compare the price of housing to gold. Now, I'm not a gold bug. I think gold is not a great investment because it doesn't produce income, it doesn't have tax benefits, uh, and it's highly manipulated, also. But it's a pretty decent measuring stick, and it's been considered money for 5,000 years. Okay. So if we look at gold, it gives us a a clue. It's one thing to measure against. There's over 40 in the index, but let's talk about gold for a moment. Way back in 1970, a year before we went off the gold standard uh, in 1971, uh, if you wanted to buy the median price house, which priced in dollars was $22,600 and gold was $35 an ounce, it would take you six hundred and forty six ounces of gold in your suitcase to buy the median price house. Right. And if you fast forward to today to well June of this year, so it's not exactly today, but close enough, it only takes uh, if you want to buy a three hundred and forty eight thousand dollar median price house, gold is seventeen eighty seven per ounce at the time of this calculation. Uh, it only takes 194 ounces of gold to buy the median price house. So, Taylor, compared to 51 years ago, I'll just ask you. Priced in dollars, houses seem expensive, right? But priced in gold, is it cheap or expensive?
1: If you price, price it cheap, in gold, right? it's a lot cheaper.
0: Yeah. It, in fact, it's less than one third of what it ha- cost 51 years ago. So housing is cheap priced in gold, very cheap. So the dollar is a fluctuating measuring stick. And that's why it would be improper to use the dollar as your measuring stick. Uh, It's one measuring stick, but it's certainly not the only one. It would be a huge mistake to make it the only one. So priced in gold, we know that real estate is cheap today. Now, what about Bitcoin? Okay, I'm not a huge cryptocurrency fan. I own some just as a hedge. I don't want to miss out if it goes through the roof again. But, you know, again, it doesn't produce income, doesn't produce cash flow, doesn't have good tax treatment. You can't finance it, or at least not very well. Real estate is a really special asset class, okay? But um, Bitcoin wasn't invented back in 1970. So we can only go back to about 2000, right? Um, Or, sorry, 2010. Uh, It was really a little bit before that, but it's close enough. The median price house in 2010... Was $224,000 in dollars. And back then, uh, 0. 0.29 uh, cents was the price of Bitcoin, right? It was 29 cents. So back then, 11 years ago, it would cost you over uh, nearly 800,000 Bitcoin to buy a house, to buy the median price house. But in June of this year, when that house was $347,000, It would, uh, and Bitcoin was $34,800 an ounce. I'm rounding a little bit for speed, obviously. It would only cost 10 Bitcoin to buy a house, right? So priced in Bitcoin is housing cheap or expensive. It's cheap, right? Okay, what about this one? Oil. The whole world runs on oil. I would argue that this is maybe the world's most important commodity, oil right doesn't matter what the tree huggers say you know <laughs> we are not we are not really using solar uh, in any significant way or wind or any alternative oil runs the world just accept it it's a fact oil is potentially the most important commodity to the human race at at
1: this time Sorry, current current paradigm absolutely
0: yeah absolutely so 1970 Oil was $3 a barrel. Remember, I think a barrel is 55 gallons, okay? So a barrel of oil, only three bucks, (laughs) right? Really cheap, priced in dollars. And and the median house price, remember, was just over $22,000. So back in 1970, 51 years ago, it would be 6,746 barrels of oil to buy the median house. But today, or in June of this year, the median house price is 348,000 give or take oil was 75 bucks a barrel it would only be 4622 barrels of oil to buy the median price house so the question is priced in oil is housing cheap or expensive it's cheap right it's cheaper than it was 51 years ago two generations ago so far in gold and oil housing is cheaper right? But it's not cheaper in everything. Actually priced in orange juice, which is another commodity, housing is more expensive. So in 1970, uh, if you wanted to buy the median price house, it would take you 51,000 pounds of orange juice. Today, it takes you 280,000 pounds of orange juice. So priced in orange juice, housing has become dramatically more expensive, right? But Orange juice isn't that important. Now, what I might recommend people do, since orange juice is so expensive, is you can economize on your orange juice by adding champagne or vodka to it. Just <laughs> a tip. Okay. I support that. <laughs> yeah. Um, rice. Rice is a commodity tailor that is the basic food supply of two thirds of the world's population, it's a hugely important food. So in 1970, if you wanted to buy a median-priced house in rice, you wanted to trade rice for it, it would take you 43,000 weights of rice. That's the way they measure it. Today, only 27,000. So priced in rice, housing is cheaper than it was 51 years ago, over a half a century ago, right? And I could keep going on and on. Um, Let's do one more. Let's do shares of the S&P 500, because one of the things you asked me before is, Jason, what about the house payment? And I definitely want to get to that, time permitting. Okay, but let's just do the price of the house. Remember, so far, we're just talking about the price of the house, not the payment on the house every month, which, by the way, is the way most people buy a house based on the monthly payment, not the price. Okay, let's go back to nineteen seventy. Median house price, $22,600. One share of the S&P, $93. 243 shares of the S&P would be required 51 years ago to buy the median price house. Today, the median price house will only cost you 80 shares of the S&P 500. So priced in shares of the S&P 500, which you could easily argue represents almost the entire economy, all right? Is housing cheaper, expensive? Well, it's about one third of what it was 51 years ago. Let's just look at 21 years ago. Let's go to 2000 and look at the S&P. Right? So, in in the year 2000, the median house price was about 173 thousand dollars. S&P shares were 1455 dollars, and it would take 119 shares of the S&P to buy a house. Today, it only takes 80 shares. So. Over time, you can see it It does fluctuate, but it's cheaper today than it has been at any time in the past 51 years when priced in the S&P 500 index, okay? So um, we could do this on median income. We could do it on a whole bunch of other commodities, uh, sure. Sure. But maybe you have questions and we do want to talk about monthly payment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to get to monthly payment. And my main like comment about the things that you've gone so gone through so far is I'm glad you moved from gold and Bitcoin, which I own a little bit of both, but I'm not a gold bug at all. I'm not a crypto guy, but I own a little bit because I like you, I don't want to miss out you. on. Look,
0: it. Taylor, their insurance, right? Yeah. In in case, you know, their insurance against FOMO, fear of missing out. Right. (laughs) Right?
1: But ultimately, you know, folks out there listening are going to say, well, gold, but I don't, you know, I don't have any use for gold. Bitcoin just kind of sits there, doesn't do anything. The price of oil and other commodities, orange juice, rice, maybe mean a little bit more to us. And we're starting to talk in terms of actual utility rather than some financial instruments.
0: You're absolutely right. And, you know, I'm so glad you mentioned the word utility, right? Because when we want to understand the value of anything, I believe, and this is just my own thinking on this uh, as a hack economist, I believe there are two primary drivers of value for anything on earth, scarcity and utility. So so ask yourself, whatever you're investing in, does it have a a sort of a built-in scarcity to it? and real estate sure does because it's expensive to build, uh, you know, cities, uh, and environmentalists don't want anybody to build it right. Well, they, they do, but there's this tug of war. You okay? got to do it the right uh, way. I mean, Everybody
1: has to have their pound of flesh. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you got
0: to bribe people, <laughs> you know, everything, <laughs> right? Lobbyists, uh, you know, environmental impact studies. And, you know, there might be some little bug on the land that you got to worry about and, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? Uh, so, so scarcity and utility. Housing certainly has utility. But when we look at dollars, right, or any currency unit, it could be dollars, euro, yen, peso, whatever, right? Brazilian real doesn't matter, right? Any currency unit, does it have scarcity and utility? Well, we certainly know uh, that the the drunken sailors running the government and the Federal Reserve and other central banks and other governments around the world are printing money like it's going out of style. And, uh, and so the scarcity component is really being debased dramatically. Uh, So, you know, scarcity is one thing. Now, the scarcity also sort of dictates the, the utility. Because uh, the more supply of the dollars there are, the less utility each dollar has, right? Because every supplier of goods and services in the economy, as all this tidal wave of of newly minted dollars is coming at them, and when I say printed or minted, you know, it's really created electronically mostly, but You get the idea. As this tidal wave of currency is coming at them, what do they do? They say, hey, well, I sell actual goods and services that are inherently limited. I can only produce so many widgets. I can only have so many hours in the day to provide whatever service I provide. If I'm a lawyer or a hairstylist or an accountant, right? My time is limited. I can only do so much. So all you can do in response to the Uh, the onslaught of all these currency units is simply raise your prices until the demand settles down. And and that's the way supply and demand works. So scarcity and utility, fundamentally important things. Very good point. Okay. Uh, You want to talk about the payments?
1: Please. I'd love to talk about the payments because I agree people buy real estate and cars and a lot of other things on the payment.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And when interest rates are literally one third of what they used to be not too long ago, everybody buys on the payment. Who cares about the price of the house? Almost nobody cares about that. They look at it like a number and they're surprised, like, you know, I can't believe this house, you know, used to be $100,000 and now it's $300,000. So what? What is it gonna cost you every month? That's the real question. That's the question that dictates almost everybody's buying decision. So let's look at that and compare it not only to dollars, but other things in the Hartman Comparison Index. Okay, so if we take the mortgage payment on the median price home, and we look at dollars, now these are uh, not inflation-adjusted dollars, they're just nominal dollars, meaning the name of them, right? The name hasn't changed, the dollar's still called a dollar. Back in 1970, the median uh, mortgage payment was $142. Today, it's $1,170. All right. But when you adjust it for inflation, and by the way, we talked about it before, Taylor, how manipulated the consumer price index is. So the numbers I'm about to share are only based on the official consumer price index. The reality is these numbers would be dramatically lower if adjusted for the real rate of inflation, okay? So just understand that. So in 1970, because there was no inflation yet, we're talking about the same time, it was $142, the median payment. Today, that median payment adjusted for inflation is only $169 51 years later. That's amazing. And that's based on the official statistics. I would bet if you adjusted this for using a better index, like what you'd find at shadowstats.com, or in another index that I like called the Chapwood Index, that's not all manipulated, that this payment would really be probably 40 to $60 a month. So inflation adjusted, we have to understand the payment is already extremely cheap very, very cheap. And that's what drives this crazy housing market that we're in. We're not going to look at Bitcoin, okay? Um, But let's look at the other commodities we talked about. Let's look at ounces of gold to not buy a house, but to make the monthly mortgage payment on a house. So in 1970, if you wanted to pay your mortgage payment, and you had your store of wealth saved in gold, and you simply converted your gold to dollars, and then took those dollars and sent a check to your mortgage company, it would take you 4.1 ounces of gold 51 years ago to pay your mortgage payment. Today, 51 years later, it only takes you 0.7 ounces of gold. So priced in gold, your monthly mortgage payment is less than one-fourth of what it was 51 years ago. That's absolutely incredible. That's two generations ago it's it's amazing, right? How about oil? What about oil? So if you want to make your mortgage payment back in 1970, it would cost you 42 barrels of oil. If you had all your savings in oil, right, you would convert 42 barrels to dollars, and then you would pay your mortgage every month. And today, it would only cost 16 barrels of oil, right? Amazing. Orange juice, it got more expensive, okay? Okay. So in 1970, it would take 319 pounds of orange juice to pay your mortgage. Today, it would take 944. So priced in gold and orange juice, it's much cheaper. Inflation adjusted, it's also much cheaper for real inflation adjustments. But in orange juice, it's more expensive. And I got to study the orange juice market a little more (laughs) (laughs) because I'm not sure what's happening there. (laughs) Now, how about if we look at the S&P 500 like we did before? But here, we're not going to buy a house with it. We're just going to make a monthly payment. In 1970, 1.5 shares of the S&P would pay your mortgage. And I won't jump right to today. I'll jump to 1980. Back then, it would take 5.3 shares of the S&P to pay your mortgage. So it got a lot more expensive in a decade. In 1990, it went down by more than half, only (coughs) 2.4 shares of the S&P. In 2000, 0.7 got really cheap there. In 2010, 0.9 shares of the S&P to pay your mortgage. And today, only 0.3 shares of the S&P to make your mortgage payment. Pretty amazing, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay.
0: How about hours worked at the average wage? How many hours of work does the average wage earner have to put in to pay their mortgage? That's a good question we've got all this debate about minimum wage and about how, you know, wages really haven't gone up much in a long, long time adjusted for inflation. Well, in 1970, you'd have to work 41 hours at the average wage to pay your mortgage. In 1980, you'd have to work 78, almost twice as many hours. And then it went down. And today, you have to work 46 hours to pay your mortgage at the average wage. So, Priced in hours of work for the average wage earner, housing is slightly more expensive than it was in 1970, but again, it is two generations, so that's not much more. 41 hours versus 46 hours today, not bad, okay? Priced in tuition, I won't go into that one because it's sort of complicated to explain, but in pretty much every metric in the index, okay, the price of housing is pretty darn cheap. And, uh, you know, we've got graphs and charts that sum this up, and, and tables that sum it up for people. But it is pretty darn amazing, isn't it? What questions or thoughts do you have?
1: Well my main thought really my main question is there is so much here that we didn't get to and we're not going to get to and it's <laughs> and you you've been going through we we didn't say for the listeners you've been going through a, a awesome presentation and there were even the slides I saw there was a lot more information you didn't cover on there again for time if folks want to you know get the presentation or see you give the presentation or anything like that I mean where can they do that
0: you know, uh, my podcast, The Creating Wealth Show, I'm talking about this stuff in in more detail uh, and uh, also on my YouTube channel or my website is just my name, jasonhartman.com. That's jasonhartman.com. We've got a conference coming up uh, called Empowered Investor Live. And, uh, uh, you know, people can can find out information on my website about that and join us in Orlando for it where we'll explain this in much more detail. But I do also want to say that this is probably the most accurate way to value real estate. However, there are other factors out there. You know, there's mortgage availability, bank lending. You know, it's not just about the actual interest rate, but it's about how willing banks are to make loans at all, right? The interest rates could be low, but if the banks are really tight and not financing things, that's another factor. So again, No index tells you everything. This doesn't either. But this tells you, I believe, more than any other widely used real estate index out there. Certainly better than Case-Shiller Index, better than the HPI Index published by the FHFA, which is a mouthful. I I think my second favorite index to my own, to the Hartman Comparison Index, is the one published by the National uh, Association of Realtors called the Housing Affordability Index, that would probably take second place, I think, to this one. It has a couple of flaws that it doesn't include like retirees, because it's based on income, doesn't include people trading equity within a market, because that's not really based on income, and doesn't include foreign buyers. For example, uh, I spent most of my life in California, there was a ton of foreign investment from the Middle East, from China, etc. And earlier from Japan, not as much uh, lately. Uh, But, you know, the housing affordability index does not count that stuff. And that's that's a bit of a blindside and a flaw to it. But otherwise, I think it's a pretty
1: good index. Interesting. Well, I love it. I'm certainly a big fan of this approach. And I think it can start to illuminate how we look at the price of housing, especially, like I said, in relation to other assets or things that we might buy that have utility, which I think is really the most relevant way to look at these things. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to invest in the private lending and debt side of real estate? You might find that going out and finding borrowers on your own is tough. When you find a borrower, you have the task of evaluating their plan all on your own. And the traditional way of lending private money highly concentrates your risk because you'll probably be funding the whole rehab loan on your own. That meant writing loan checks well into the hundreds of thousands of dollars, placing a lot of risk in individual borrowers and properties. Not to mention, there's a lot for you to know in terms of how to structure these loans so that you can help protect yourself and work with the borrower in your interests. Now, there's a new way to invest in the debt side of real estate that turns the private money lending space on its head. You can invest in a variety of debt instruments with this new platform with as little as $10 in each opportunity you can diversify your investment across a wide variety of borrowers, geographies, and asset types. This new platform is called GroundFloor. They make it easy to invest in either your name or using your self-directed IRA. And if you don't already have a self-directed IRA, don't worry. They make it easy to get started and get one opened. Go to www.passivewealthstrategy.com groundfloor ground floor to get started. Or click the link in the show notes. See the ground floor site for full terms and details of what they offer. Once again, that's www.passivewealthstrategy.com/groundfloor, or click the link in the show notes. Back to the show. All right, Jason, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the okay. show. Okay, are you ready? Sure. Great. First one: What is the best investment you ever made? other than in your education? Um,
0: well, education is definitely a good one. So That's it's good why, to why we take that, that out. <laughs> <'cause> everybody <laughs> would say that. And boy, I wouldn't say it'd be a college education. It's a real world education. That's the one that's the most important. But other than that, um, you know, I would have to say my first uh, real estate deal uh, where I bought it uh, with uh, money I borrowed from my grandmother and paid her back a year later because I had almost no money in the deal. It, the return was nearly infinite okay so i'd have nice. to say that was my my best deal probably nice. right at the beginning of my when i was uh, t- you know 22 years old was my my first house that i lived in but i bought a rental property at age 20 before that
1: awesome well you got to love the one of the many advantages of real estate is the ability to use debt and the ability to add value which we can't do with our stinking Wall Street investment. Yeah. So that's one of my favorite things about real right, estate. Right,
0: right. You're, you're a good point. You're, you know, your stockbroker, if you say, hey, I want to fix this stock up a little bit, do better marketing, <laughs> uh, maybe maybe paint it, uh, maybe put some new flooring in the stock. Can you sell it for more? No, you can't. It's a perfect market. And that's the problem. That's the, There's no opportunity in a perfect market.
1: Absolutely. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Uh,
0: oh, gosh. Uh, I'm going to get some flack for this one. So uh, the worst investment, I could pick two of them. Uh, number one was a 48-foot yacht. Uh, the two happiest days of a boat owner's life when they buy it and when they sell it. Yep. Um, but even worse than that was a, uh, a private plane. I put a deposit down on a jet. Uh, it was before the great recession and during the great recession, uh, the company went bankrupt and I lost a bunch of money, but uh, Hey, I got a tax write off. <laughs> and, uh, so, uh, you know, airplanes and boats, uh, try and stay away from those things.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing?
0: Oh, gosh, Uh, to distill it down to one is extremely difficult. But, um, you know, I would say, uh, be careful who you trust. Uh, There's a and I hate to sound cynical, but there's just a lot of really scummy people out there, a lot of scam artists, so you really got to be careful and be careful relying on even background checks and resumes. Uh, look, Bernie Madoff, one of the biggest scammers ever, uh, he, he, his resume was phenomenal. He was president of NASDAQ. It doesn't get much better than that for a Wall Street guy. And another Wall Street guy, uh, John Corzine, who ripped a bunch of people off with MF Global, he was governor of New Jersey. I mean, how much more credibility do you get than those two things, right? Those are huge credibility boosters, but even even those guys scammed a lot of people.
1: Yeah, that's true. And the Madoff case is very interesting, especially there were a lot of folks who kind of had some inside knowledge or looked into the books and they said, there is no way this guy is legit. And they didn't yeah. invest with them, but the regulators yeah. didn't do anything until it all the blew SEC up.
0: He turned a blind eye to that one guy who outed him years earlier. Yeah.
1: Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. So that's a great point. And Jason, I want to thank you for joining us today, bringing us these lessons. is very excellent, much appreciated insights into uh, some, some data on whether or not we're, we're in a bubble. It's interesting to think about. If folks want to reach out, if they want to find you, if they want to find your podcast or any of your other information, whatever you got, where can they track you down?
0: Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, Jason com, And you know, I do have another thing I could offer uh, to your uh, listeners. Um, I have a, uh, a sort of a mini book uh, that I've published, uh, that's available totally for free, no strings attached at pandemicinvesting.com, where basically what I've done is uh, adapted some of my investing principles for the crazy times in which we're living, uh, pandemic and post pandemic. And I talk about, you know, the way it's going to turn out afterwards as, as you know, the world opens up again, which was happening now, but now maybe closing again too, who knows? Uh, (laughs) So that's at pandemicinvesting.com or my main website, jasonhartman.com.
1: Well, as someone who in my history has bought a few domains, URLs, I am impressed by the fact that you got that one. That was, you must've been fast or that must not have been cheap. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I, I I got it for, for the standard price. I wow. didn't even pay extra.
1: Yeah. Oh man, you must've yeah. been right on top of that. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. That's very much appreciated. That helps other people learn about the show. And I'm always honest with you guys. It helps me feel good because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. wanna thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.